Welcome to the Teach, Lead, Innovate podcast, where we dive deep into the heart of innovation, leadership, and transformative ideas shaping the future of education and technology. Each episode is a journey into the minds of visionary educators, thinkers, and leaders who are not just talking about change, they're living it. Real people leading real change. This is where passion meets practice and ideas come to life. Welcome to the Teach, Lead, Innovate podcast. I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Scott Rocco. Dr. Rocco is a man of many talents and abilities. He is the proud superintendent of the Hamilton Township School District and a co-founder of the Twitter chat, hashtag SatChat, which has been a positive educational conversation every Saturday since 2012. Scott is also a conference presenter and keynote speaker. He is an ardent supporter of public education and all who work and learn in our schools. He is the co-author of Hacking Google for Education, 99 Ways to Leverage Google Tools in Classrooms, Schools, and Districts, as well as 140 Twitter Tips for Educators, Get Connected, Grow Your Professional Learning Network, and Reinvigorate Your Career. He was also the New Jersey Association of School Administrators Superintendent of the Year in 2022. Welcome to the Teach, Lead, Innovate podcast, Dr. Rocco. Thank you, Dave. I'm really humbled to be asked to be here, and I'm really excited to talk to you today. It is my pleasure. So, Dr. Rocco, tell us some more about SatChat. Now in its 12th year, what prompted the idea to start this weekly conversation back in 2012? So, years ago, um, it, it all started when I was an assistant superintendent, and our superintendent said in one of those Monday morning meetings that we all have, and now as a superintendent, I have it with my senior staff. He had said to all of us, hey, I want you to have a social media presence. And I really had no idea what that meant. And like... Uh, some celebrities are on social media and I don't get why we would do this. Uh, so oh, I, I got a Twitter account and I remember really stressing over my first tweet, which was so mundane. It was something about sitting mm-hmm. here waiting to have a meeting with office of emergency management. I probably waited 10 minutes to hit tweet on that because I was so nervous, but then I realized nobody was paying attention because I think I had no followers at the time. Um, but what I realized was, as I was starting to learn about social media, I found that Twitter at the time, uh, and it was really the only game in town, was a really good avenue to connect with other educators. So we really didn't have that environment to be able to connect with other people, to learn from them, to share with them, and hopefully provide some information that they were learning from also. At the same time in Jersey, and you might remember this, uh, public education was taking a beating. Uh, in in the public uh, for various reasons that I won't get into and ended up connecting with a guy named Brad Curry, good friend of mine, now fast forward many years later. And uh, we said, there's got to be a way for us to have a positive and productive educational conversation where people can exchange ideas and feel safe and be able to share. And we talked about doing it on a Saturday morning, thus sat chat. Uh, do it for an hour, have six questions. And we started at 7.30 in the morning and we really didn't think anybody was going to join. And 25 people joined on that first chat. It exploded from there over over time. And, and Billy Krakauer joined us and he's the third person in this team that has kept it going for as long as it's been going. And it's had ups and downs over the years as as chats have become popular and then other things took their place. But we're still there. We're, we've modified a little bit. We start at eight o'clock now. Uh, we're all older. Uh, we have families and other things that are going on. So we've made adjustments. We've gone down to three questions and um, 
And so it starts at eight o'clock every Saturday. And we still feel that there is a place for educational chats. And that's why we continue to do it. I got to say a 12 year commitment. That is, that's just exceptional. Um, I have to admit a lot of coffee. um, I'm sure it's a lot of coffee and I used to participate even more. So I am going to make sure I get on there as well. (laughs) All right. So let's go back for a second, Dr. Rocco. Oh, of course. What is, what inspired you in the first place to pursue a career in educational leadership and ultimately become a superintendent? So I had, um, really good leaders when I was a teacher. Uh, I had, I remember looking up to, uh, principal of the high school and I was a teacher in, um, some of the, uh, vice principals and supervisors. Uh, I thought that the central office team at that time that I worked there was very dedicated team that was really committed to the staff and making sure that they advanced. And, And actually the district that I was a teacher in and progressed all through my leadership, a a lot of uh, high school, middle school, elementary school principals and superintendents came out of that district over that time period. A lot of us went into central office administration. I really never thought I wanted to be a superintendent. My main goal as as a leader was to become a high school principal. And I I never was a high school principal. I actually became an elementary principal, Mm -hmm. which I will tell you, is probably the greatest job in the world. Uh, There is nothing more exciting to watch kids learn, see kids learn. Uh, You you see the development, you see the excitement. uh, And it really, it really helped me to actually set my place in administration and then think that I could go on into a central office role by having that role as an elementary principal. And I was surprised too by that experience because I came from the secondary as a vice principal and a high school teacher. And when I went to elementary, I realized that it's the bedrock. It's like the foundation to which everything else begins in education or continues. So I'm glad you shared that. It really is a relevant point. We're a high school, I was a high school history studies. teacher. Yeah, me too. And, yeah. uh, and I was a middle school VP yeah. and I really would have been a better teacher if I had an opportunity to observe elementary teachers at work. Uh, once I became an elementary principal, yeah. I had that opportunity to see what they could do with students. I would have been better. I would, I would have been much better as a teacher. And I hope to think that it was very good. I tried to be very good. Uh, but to see what the elementary teachers do every day, and that's not shortchanging anybody. Every teacher works hard, but the difference between elementary and secondary is elementary. You get 25 kids at the start of the day and the same 25 kids you have all day long. So if a student has a rough day, mm-hmm. you have them all day long. If you are a secondary teacher, if a student has a rough day, you have them for a period, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, or if you're in a block, an hour and a half, but then they change over to another, uh, another class and, and they get a, a fresh start. So that was just one of many things that, that really I looked and I said, oh, if I knew this as a, as a teacher of secondary watching them, I would have been much more efficient and effective. I think that also speaks to going out of our comfort zone and being able to, you know, a few years ago, and, and we still have the instructional leadership teams in my district, and we had external rounds and, and high school would go to elementary, elementary to high school, and middle school to high school, the whole, the whole gamut. And it was just so eye-opening to be able to go to other locations and, and other levels and see, wow, this is what's going on. I think, I think that's critical because I don't think we always know 
what everyone else is doing at, at different levels. And I think just going and seeing that just makes, makes you a better educator. Agreed. So uh, to be sure, you face challenges every day as a superintendent, uh, probably uh, continuously. What have you, what have been some of the most significant challenges, challenges that you faced in your role? So I think every day is a challenge for a leader. Uh, different things pop up, things that are unexpected. I, I think you have to be flexible no matter what it is. I think you have to have an open mind. I, I also, um, and and little secret, David, we know each other from NJXL and, and Absolutely. You know, safe schools, safe schools class where, you know, I talked about how this is a team effort when you're working on things and things are popping up. So a lot of people, you know, if you ask that question to a lot of people, they're going to tell you COVID and working mm -hmm. through COVID and figuring that out. And yes, that was probably the most challenging experience that any leader has had. It obviously was one of the most challenging experiences that I have ever had. Uh, being able to operate, being able to reopen schools was, was an absolute challenge. Um, the behind the scenes though on that, and one of the things that people really need to talk more about is how, uh, how leaders and educators came together to figure this out. And uh, uh, probably two or three weeks before we shut down on a Sunday morning, a group of superintendents came into my conference room in Hamilton Township, and we sketched out what it would look like to close a district. And it took took uh, three whiteboards and a bunch of giant sheets of uh, paper to try and figure out what that was. And, and that's been one of the biggest challenges that we've faced um, on a daily basis, on an operational basis. Uh, there are things about student performance and making sure that we're providing safe environments for kids and staff. Everybody who works and learns in a building should feel safe. And so those have been, those have been challenges over the years and trying to put in layers of security to make sure that we are doing the best we can to provide the safest environment for all kids. So that's the second part, which has been very challenging for all administrators, including myself. Yeah. I mean, when you take a look back at COVID, I think even just, I mean, as a superintendent, I'm sure that that job was monumental. It was, it was huge. Even as a principal, it was, it was like, how, how do we do this? And yeah, I will say, I, I think it was also a time where a lot of people came together and that collaboration and communication was there so that it made things a little easier to, to navigate. But yeah, I think that's definitely a time I'm going to always remember as well. <laughs> um, so I know you're a big tech guy uh, and, uh, you know, the world is changing. We've got AI, the advent of AI, and it's just every single day it's moving. As a superintendent, how do you encourage technological innovation within your schools? in the district. Yeah. So I think we have to keep moving forward with the pandemic. We proved that we can do certain things and we actually proved that we could pivot on a dime and, and do things that people thought were going to take five, six, seven years. Now that's not to say everything that we did was perfect, right? We learned as we went along, but as a superintendent who believes in the power of educational technology and that it can help us to improve instruction to improve learning, to improve the environment, I actually have to model it myself. And I, and I want to take a step back for a second and be very clear. Sure. Sure. I do not believe, nor do I feel it should happen that the 
adult, the, the teacher should disappear because of educational technology. We are a people business and, and our clients or our community are children and their families. So that interaction back and forth, that, that personal connection has to exist. Technology is there to reinforce it, to move it to another level, to engage it at a new level. And so as the superintendent, I have to do a couple of things. One, I have to model it, right? So I, I try stuff all the time. I love AI, right? So a lot of people are saying AI is going to destroy education. I disagree. I disagree. I think it's going to take us in a new direction. We may not be able to control how it's developing, but we can control how it's going to be used in our educational institutions. So, you know, in, in Hamilton, we have a lot of AI classes, PD classes that are being offered. The second part of it is not only modeling it, so different things that we do and use and things like that, but also brainstorming ideas on how we can better use educational technology, how we can become more efficient using it, how it can help us be better as professional educators. And so... I often say, and you've heard this saying, and everybody said, uh, has heard this saying, no idea is a bad idea. We've all heard that, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's some horrible, horrible, horrible ideas in there, right? There, there's absolutely, absolutely horrible absolutely. ideas out there. And I think, and I think I sometimes bring those up to my team, but they smile and they're like, eh, okay, let's face. But I think you have to be able to have those conversations and speak freely among your team and, and titles should not matter. So if mine, if my tech facilitators come in and they're like, hey, listen, I think we should do this. And here's the reasons why they should feel free to be able to do that in an environment where I encourage them to move forward. And I think that's the third piece. So model it, brainstorm it and encourage people to to move forward with it. Um, I really think also, you know. Like I said, the pandemic showed that we could do, do things with technology and we could advance things very quickly. And then we came back and some of that stuff screeched to a halt. And I think mm -hmm. that is a detriment to us educationally. And we really need to be given a little more free reign on how to, how to integrate technology into education so that we can become more efficient, more effective. Uh, because a generation, Generation Alpha, which is the brand new generation, I could talk about generations for hours with you. The Generation Alpha, this newest generation that's now in our schools, they're all tech. They're all tech all the time. Right, wrong, and different. That's what they are. And so as, as older generations who are teaching them and leading them, we've got to keep making progress as we go along. So two things. Number one, obviously, you brought up about being able to, you'll throw an idea out there and, you know, or you, you encourage ideas. I think that goes big to culture too. It speaks tremendously to culture, allowing your staff to have a say and to, to take risks. What do you think the role is of, of sort of encouraging risk-taking with technology? You have to, because it's experimentation. So what will work in one district, an app, some software, a platform is not going to work in another district for whatever sure. reason. There's a million variables of why it might not work. So you have to allow an environment where people can try some things and things don't work and you revamp it or you adjust it. You also have to allow staff to try things that they think are going to work 
and then move forward. The, the point though is that it has to connect with what we're doing. So you can't just randomly start picking things. You can't just randomly implement things, right? There has to be some parameters with it. And, and I think the baseline of that is how's it going to improve learning for kids or how is it going to make our teachers more efficient at what they do? And then from there, we can build off of there, uh, off of that, those two foundational items. Backward design, you're starting with those questions first. Yeah. That's great. So I saw in a recent post of yours, information on your district's RISE committee, review, identify, simplify, and act. I was yeah. so inspired, so inspired by your desire to really examine which practices should stay, which should go. Can you tell me more about this committee and what gave you the push to start this in your district? Yeah, so let's start. For seven years, I have a whiteboard in my office, and it is a quarterly whiteboard. I update it uh, every every three months. It has 30 to 40 items on it for three months that I'm focusing on. And in the top right-hand corner, it is always said rise, right? So review, identify, simplify, and act. And I've always wanted to implement a committee of uh, of stakeholders in a district as a rise committee, and then identify some things that we could actually simplify. Because over the years, and you know this, over the years, we're asked to do more and more and more and more and more, and nothing comes off the plate. So let's figure out what we can do or what we can remove or what we can uh, revise and make more efficient. So uh, we had our first meeting in uh, last month. In our first meeting last month, we're having another meeting this month, and it's about 35 or 40 staff, teachers, uh, supervisors, principals. I had a student teacher come in to the group and be wow. part of the committee. Uh, and fun, awesome. fun fast forward, we actually hired him the other day as a full-time teacher. Um, but I said to the committee, and I was really excited because although I'm chairing the committee, there are co-chairs that are doing all the work. And I said to them, at the first meeting, I'm going to explain the concept. I'm going to explain why I want this. And that's the most talking I'm going to do. And the subcommittee chairs are going to do all the work. So we have a secondary committee, an elementary committee, and I think you have a district uh, level committee. And they're going to go through and they're going to identify things that they think we can simplify or we can delete or we can make better. And I said to them, if we just identify one thing, one simple thing out of each committee that we can roll out to the district, this has been successful for this year. And so I'm hoping we can do that and actually demonstrate some stuff to them. So for example, I had showed them uh, real fast on the screen uh, how they can use an app called Magical to um, put in common phrases that they use all the time. So we use the example of as, as a leader, you do and I do, we get a lot of emails from vendors, right? And they're like, hey, we'd like to have a meeting. Hey, we'd like you to look at this. Hey, we're going to be in town. Can we set up uh, a time? So I have a magical um, phrase that I type and then it produces four or five sentences that say, thank you for the email. I'll look at your product. If I have any interest, I'll be in contact with you. And I hit send. But by just typing those two words, I get all of that and I hit send. So I showed them that. And to me, that's rise. We've simplified a process. So yeah. if 
if they use that app or any other app that does that, it helps them to put out messaging quickly and it saves them, I don't know, a minute or two per email. And let's say they have 50 students that they work with and they have to respond to 50 parents. That could be an hour of their time they could see. So that's what we're working on with Rise. I'm really excited about it. I, I can't wait to see what comes from this. Uh, they have they have these real grandiose ideas and I don't want to stifle it. And I say, keep going with those, but let's try early wins. Let's each committee try and find an early, easy win, like one item that that we could put out to the staff so that they see what this committee is is capable of. I got to say, I think that's just a very innovative thing to do. And I mean, it's, it's something that I think is very logical. You would think, okay, we're adding you know, everything that continues to, to pile up. And it's like, let's review what we've, you know, things that we don't know or use anymore. And I think, I think it's, I don't know, it just, it's amazing. So I really commend you for, uh, for that work that you and your district are doing. It's going to be fun. Um, it's going to oh, be fun. I can't like wait fun. to see what comes out of it. So uh, in order to create a more collaborative dynamic, you know, many school districts are always trying to engage a community, bring in parents, bring in stakeholders. Can you give an example of a successful community partnership or an initiative in your district? Yeah, I can, I can give you a couple of examples. Uh, the most obvious is before the pandemic, we did a strategic planning committee. And we had um, over a hundred stakeholders come in and we had subcommittees and we actually had the strategic plan approved February of 2020. And then, you know, the next month we went out on the oh, pandemic. Wow. Mm -hmm. One of the goals was technology. And one of the goals was by 2025, we would be one-to-one -one in the district. We were one-to-one -one in the district. <laughs> Within two months, uh, right? And it, it was it was insane how how that accelerated at a rate that was incredible. And then some other items on that slowed down significantly. Um, but we were in the the sad part on that with the pain. There's a lot with the pandemic that that sad yeah. sad part on that. It from the perspective of the strategic plan was we were really in a good place. We were all pulling in the same direction, meaning that the faculty, the staff, the administration, the community, the parents, um, we, we were moving forward. Everybody was in agreement. Everybody was excited when this was approved by the board of education. Um, but that worked really well. We've had a number of, of large committees right now. I have the facility strategic planning committee with a group of community coming together. Uh, when I, first started, my first responsibility was to get a referendum to vote uh, within about three months of being on the job. And uh, we we got a large group of people from the community together to to talk and put things out and, and communicate with people. So um, engaging the community that way, uh, I know that you know, the community sometimes feels like districts don't get them involved as much as possible. Um, but we do have different opportunities for them. Just recently, we put a survey out about the school calendar. And you know this, whenever the school calendar comes out, people are upset. <laughs> you know, people, people get really upset when the calendar comes out. So we put survey questions out and said, you know, do you like this? Would you want this? How do you feel about this? And uh, then we left an open section of people could just comment. Uh, we had over 1,200 people complete the survey. And out of the big five, I think it was five or six questions, four of those, four out of five or five out of six of those 
we are actually able to implement into the calendar. Yeah. When it comes to the calendar, that can be quite a interesting time. Yeah. And that's a lunar. So, uh, Dr. Rocco, what's, what's one lesson you've learned as a superintendent that you wish you knew earlier in your career? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I think, I think I wish I knew, uh, about snow days and, and, uh, <laughs> weather days. Um, so in, in, as we record this, it's snowing and I'm on a snow day. Uh, it, and I wish I knew the behind the scenes yeah. stuff that happens uh, with a snow day. And I think people don't realize that superintendents start watching the weather from about December 1st through the end of March. We, we look at different forecasts. We look at 10-day forecasts. We all have certain forecasters that we pay attention to. Um, we talk with our, our colleagues in our county or surrounding areas. Um, we talk with our police, our, our uh, you know, local uh, Department of Public Works, township, lots of different people. Like there's a lot of, lot of interplay there when it comes to it. And, and at the end of the day, we're not meteorologists, right? We're superintendents. And so uh, have I called a day when it's supposed to do something and it didn't do it? Yeah, I did. And it's, it's rough. You know, it's, it's tough. Um, and, and superintendents, we beat ourselves up about that, you know, because sure. we want to provide a safe environment for our staff and our students to get to school and to get home. And so, uh, you know, we do err more on the side of caution today. I know some, some people will say, oh, when we were kids, you know, we went to school when there were six and eight inches of snow. Well, in Jersey, you didn't, right? Because yeah. I grew up in Jersey. We did. Same. Um, no, we didn't. Yeah. Uh, and, uh. But, you know, it, it's, um, those type of things like that, those type of decisions where they're hard, uh, in the sense of you're relying on other people's information to make your decision, the weather can change the best way I can put it. And I think that's, 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 first of all, it's a great insight. That's a great, uh, you know, I can't imagine having to make that decision, but I, I appreciate you like going in depth a little bit about what you have to do to make that decision. It's not as simple as like, Oh, okay. Look, it looks like it's going to snow. It's, it goes way beyond that. And, uh, I don't yeah, think a lot I, of people, it, like you said, they don't know that. I don't think a lot of people know that. No. And, and my wife hates it when the weather's going to be bad. Cause I'm up in light. Like I, I'm looking out the window right out there, <laughs> uh, even though, you know, and I live in the town that I'm superintendent. So I, so it does give me a little bit of, an advantage because I know what's on the ground at the time. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I mean, superintendents were up, you know, we're up at four o'clock in the morning on the phone with each other or zoom calls, trying to figure out what's everybody doing. What, what reports are you getting? Um, so, and again, it goes back to, you know, the school safety lessons of it's a team sport. You know, you've got to, you've got to work with yeah. a group of people and you've got to gather as much information as possible to make the best informed decision as possible. And even then, Sometimes it goes wrong. Sometimes it goes wrong. Yep. So two more questions for you. Uh, yeah. What advice, what advice would you give to someone aspiring to become a superintendent? So first thing I would say is if you want and you're aspiring to be a superintendent, that's fantastic, right? It's a tough job. It's a challenging job, but it also can be a rewarding job. I think if you're going to do it, you need to um, not only go and take an opportunity to participate in activities and 
and uh, committees and events that your superintendent's participating in, but you also have to get an opportunity to talk with the superintendent, talk to the assistant superintendent, see what a day is like, see if they'll let you shadow them, uh, talk to them and have a series of questions that you need answered to kind of figure out, is this for me? Uh, the other advice I'd have is if you're really interested in that, and this is for all leadership, I think as you, as you become a leader, um, you're not just a leader. The effect of your job and your responsibility flows into your family, right? And it does affect your family life. And I think you have to have a serious conversation with your spouse, if you have children, whatever your family dynamic is to talk to them about what those responsibilities are going to be. Because as you know, as a leader, um, there are events that will take you away from your family. Uh, sure. There are activities that you need to be at for work while somebody in your family, a child, your spouse has something else that they're going to that they want you to be part of, but you might not be able to be part of. So I think you have to have that conversation and you all have to be on the same page about what the work-life balance is going to be. Um, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to tell you I have a work-life balance. And the big folks in administration, especially superintendencies that say that they have a good work-life balance, I, I don't think they're telling you the truth, the truth. Uh, because um, the job can be a lot at times, there, especially certain times of the year, it gets really, really busy and, and it's all worth all the time. That's not a bad thing. For a lot of us, that's kind of, why we do the job. It's kind of the environment that we thrive in as we go along. But I think yeah, when you're talking about wanting to do this role, I think you need to have a good understanding of what it is and what it is. Um, and also understanding um, how uh, state regulations and laws play into it and how politics play into it and how change really can happen. Those are all important things that I think if you're really interested in it, you've got to look into those things and get some experiences. And then I would say, if you're talking to your superintendent, ask your superintendent if there is another superintendent they would recommend that you go and talk to. Maybe you need to get different perspectives, different perspectives, big districts, small district, urban, suburban, rural districts, just so you get an idea and maybe find, uh, find an area or a type of district that you feel you could be successful in. Thank you for those recommendations, Dr. Rocco. I think that was extremely helpful. I also noticed on your social media stuff about evolving educators. Can you tell us about evolving yeah. educators? Yeah. So we talked a little bit about SatChat and how that developed. And then the offshoot of SatChat has been uh, evolving educators. So uh, evolving educators, the term actually started with a vlog I used to have that I've shut down now from years. I, I tried getting into vlogging and put some stuff out uh, years ago, years ago, but it's the same concept as SatChat, which is, you know, per, SatChat is a, is a um, positive conversation for educators, by educators and evolving educators is professional development for educators, by educators. So uh, Brad, Billy, and I are the co-founders of Evolving Educators. We've done a tremendous amount of professional development. I love to teach. I still love to teach. I teach at the college level. I teach at NJXL. Uh, and so this was a natural progression for me, a natural progression for Brad and Billy. And so we do a lot of Google training, um, do a lot of that. We also have inst uh, created institutes. 
So we have a secretary's institute, a paraprofessional institute, a new teacher institute. And what those institutes are is those are asynchronous training. And you sign up and the secretary, for example, it's 10 sessions, 10 different uh, activities and lessons on Google. And uh, so you go through those, secretaries go through those. We have secretaries from all over the United States that are doing that right now. And as they go through it, they're, they're learning through video, but they're also doing activities as they go along. So it's kind of hands-on and it's mm-hmm. not one and done. It's uh, every one of those lessons also comes with a, uh, like a one or two sheet uh, information sheet about what we're doing, whether that's email, Gmail or Google Docs or, you know, sheets or whatever it is so that they have resources as they go along. Um, we're not fans of the one and done. Um, so we develop these institutes and these asynchronous programs. Um, we do other things. I do resumes and cover letters and I do mock interviews with people. Um, also I'm developing a training on generational differences so that you can recruit, retain, and hire, um, with different generations and understanding the differences in those generations. So we're constantly building out a program for people. Uh, A lot of it is asynchronous because that's the way people are preferring it right now, but we also do on-site and we customize for districts. So if somebody reaches out to us and says, hey, I need professional development on X and I need it to be this length or I need it to be these elements, we build that out and we can either build it out on our platform and people can come onto our platform or we can build it out and provide it to the school district or the company or the university. Uh, we've done work with colleges. We've done work with uh, K-12 all over the United States and actually outside of the United States. It's been exciting. You know, it's also, it's also kind of a hobby at, and it's been growing as it's mm-hmm. been going. If someone's interested in uh, finding out more about evolving educators, where can they go? So you can do two things. You can go to evolvingeducators.com and that's our website. Or you can email us at evolving at evolvingeducators.com and someone will get back to you. And the real question is, with everything that you do, do you sleep? <laughs> I do. I do. And sometimes I fall asleep at like eight o'clock at night. Hold, if I'm home and it's like eight o'clock, I'm in bed. I'm getting ready to go to bed. Like, bed. I think, I think you know this. I mean, you're in the ministry. Yeah. Like, we like the busy. We like mm-hmm. doing the stuff. I love to teach. I love to stay involved. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy seeing in my district people being successful. I, I love seeing, um, I love seeing teachers and students try different things and, and, uh, and see the joy in their faces as, as they do things. It's just, it's, it's great. It, it's, it's exhausting too at times, right? We'll admit, but it of course. is. That's what it's it all about. That's absolutely. what it's all about. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rocco, for coming on to the podcast today and sharing your insights and perspectives. It really is appreciated. I know you're going to continue to do great things in your district and beyond. If you are not following Dr. Rocco on X, formerly known as Twitter, be sure to do so at Scott R. Rocco or on Instagram at Dr. Scott Rocco. I will also post links in the description where you can purchase any of Dr. Rocco's books. And all right, everyone, until we meet again, stay inspired, stay positive, and have the best day ever.